Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Nuts in a Pod. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Emery. And we have a special guest today, Kat O'Connor. Hi, so, everyone. It's so lovely to meet you and talk to you a little bit. But I'm going to let Emery introduce you since he's known you properly for longer. Well, you've already introduced her name, so... <laughs> That's it. That's all you... Cat O'Connor, Google it. <laughs> That's all I had. My little notepad. I just said her name. That was it. <laughs> just some person I found. Uh, so Cat, I have known for a couple years through our work with Seven Counties and Bellwood and Brooklawn. And can you explain a little bit about what all of that is <laughs> that <Yes>. I just said? <laughs> I definitely can. So Seven Counties and Bellwood and Brooklawn provide a comprehensive continuum of care that helps vulnerable individuals find hope, make positive changes in their lives, and things like that all throughout Kentucky. And so we have helped about 31,000 people in Kentucky over the last year. So Wow. Yeah, so I used to serve on that ambassador council, but I'm no longer. I was kicked off. And no longer. Uh-oh. The <laughs> yeah. bad boy of the He's council. Lying. bad boy of the council. <laughs> <laughs> so I was kicked off. Uh, but yeah, so we did an event recently called Brains, Brews, and Bragging Rights, which was a mm-hmm. trivia event to raise money and then they have an upcoming event called semicolon uh which is coming up a few weeks we'll have cat talk about that a little bit later give some more details so our audience knows about it because it's a pretty pretty cool event yeah and it's mental health related so yeah it's not just we're into it <laughs> it's not just some event we're talking about like ooh, pizza party <laughs> it's just it's a mental health re- well you could do a mental health related event that involves pizza too so i think that would be successful yeah people love pizza man people love pizza Okay, well, yeah, that's Kat. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. But before we get too far into the show, i got to go over the business. Yes. So you're listening to Two Nuts in a Pod on 106.5 Forward Radio. You can listen to us anytime at forwardradio.org. You can find us on streaming services, CastBox, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. We're everywhere. We're also on social media platforms. Instagram, we're Two Nuts in a Pod with the number two. Two Nuts in a Pod. And then Facebook, where Two Nuts in a Pod with the number two actually spelled out T-W-O. Um, it's a little more sophisticated on Facebook. Yes. Uh, for the boomers. <laughs> yes, for the boomers and for me, because that's all I use. Uh, so we're on Instagram and Facebook. And you can also email us anytime, 24-7, 365 at Two Nuts in a Podcast at gmail.com. You can email us show ideas. You can email us your concerns. You can email us your complaints. You can email us your love letters for Lizzie or whatever you want. We have, I think, 750 interns. So one of them will answer it within like seconds. It'll be the fastest email response you've ever seen. Yeah, I feel like the last time we recorded, you said 7,000 interns. So we really, uh, I guess we took a hit to our yeah. intern program. <laughs> yeah, we had to knock down a few of them. Just, you know, they weren't they were pro- slacking off. They were slacking, not producing results. So we're very, you know, all about production. <laughs> They're sending mean emails to people. We don't like that. Yeah, yeah. We, we really can't have that on a mental health show. So, um, so yeah, we only have 750 interns now. Cool. Yeah. Trimmed the fat. We're just down to the good, the really good folks. <laughs> the really good interns. <laughs> so, um, we always start out with a segment called How Are You For Real? So, this is where we actually just talk about, um, we just real talk about our lives and what's going on. Because usually when someone asks how you are, you just say good or fine, especially like at work or if you're small talking with people. And, um, Emory and I actually have a habit of um, elaborating on that. 
in all sorts of social settings. Makes people uncomfortable. Yeah, people usually don't <laughs> like it, but here we get to do what we want. So Yeah, we make the rules here. We make the freaking rules. <laughs> yeah. so, so you can't go like walking by someone like, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm actually terrible. Can I talk to you about it for 12 minutes? And they, you know, they're usually not cool with that. So Yeah, but here, it's great. We encourage it. <laughs> Yes. And the worse you feel, the better we feel, because we pretty much always feel bad. So Yeah. We're, yes. It's the worst when like a guest is doing really well. We're like, come on, all right. You're like, that can't be real. Yeah. Yeah. We know they're lying. We try to vet them ahead of time and make sure they're sad enough for the show. There's a sad skill that we use and if they don't if they're not like a a eight or a nine or a ten, like we don't even let them on. Yeah. It's a sad assessment that we send out. So Kat, you passed. <laughs> You're just sad enough. I'm a very sad person, apparently. <laughs> um, so yeah, who wants to start out? Emery? Fine. How are you for real? I'm terrible. <laughs> All right, that's what I like to hear. Right. Give me more. Uh, well, at first I was so upset when I walked in the studio. Cat uh, was just sitting in my chair, which was just so insulting because I was like, I immediately, I didn't even say hi. I was like, you're sitting in my chair. <laughs> And then I realized I just don't know how to socialize with people clearly after COVID because I'm just like, I don't know how to talk to people. I'm just like, you're in my chair. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Get out of my chair. Uh, so that was, you know, that was the worst part of my day. No, I uh, I had a pretty good, pretty good weekend. I just went to a one-year-old's birthday party, which is real cute and basically is only thrown for the adults because the one-year-old has literally no idea what's going on. But she... She yelled at her cake, and she beat her cake with uh, her spoon, fork thing, whatever. That sounds like my last birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like when I turned 34. Uh, yeah. There was some alcohol involved. But... <laughs> so, yeah, Madeline... The result was the same. <laughs> yeah, Madeline turned one. Um, she had a cute little birthday party today, and yesterday I went to a wedding, and both, you know, were being safe and everything like that, uh, and it's just, uh, yeah, so that was, that was all, that's all been nice. Uh, I did have some pretty stressful stuff happen where I... I came back from a trip, and it was just really stressful, like, the return from a trip. Because, you know, you're like, the traveling part is the part that I hate. I like the part where I'm there. Mm -hmm. But when I come back, I'm like, just, God, just get me to my house and to my bed, and let me put all my stuff back to where my little, everything's organized. The way back is so much worse. The way there, at least you have the adrenaline. You're like, like ooh, ooh I'm, going God, I'm going on a trip. <laughs> the way back feels so much longer. Yeah, so I went, I went to Mexico City. And I was tested before I went. I was tested at the airport there, and then I was tested a few days later. So I'm good to go, negative. Um, so yeah, I came back, and it was just kind of an adjustment, uh, acclimating myself back to everything around me. And I walked. I actually uh, I got in at like 7:30 in the morning on Monday, and then I had to go to work at nine. And oh then, my god! And then on my way to work, I got a flat tire. You got to take that day off, man. What you doing? I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, that's a rookie mistake. <laughs> that's why I'm here. I'm asking for help. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Yeah, that was a real rookie mistake there. I was like, yeah, I can do this. No problem at all. But I couldn't do it at all. Um, so that was difficult. And then uh, this weekend, I actually uh, I cut ties with someone. Um, oh. Yeah, I had to do that. I had to put up some boundaries there, which is... Something I've kind of struggled with and wasn't very good at when I was younger it was just like, yeah, sure, you treat me like crap, you're my best friend. But like now it's like, no, I'm not cool with this, so I'm gonna set up some boundaries. And yeah, I, I cut someone out like this morning, so it was uh, I had to send a kind of a difficult text and was like, I need to do this for my sanity. And I'm just I'm done dealing with that stuff of like, oh, I'm gonna like, because if someone's like, 
in bad shape or whatever. It's like, okay, I'll do whatever I can to take care of you and forget about taking care of myself or like my friends and family that are actually close to me and treat me well. And so I just decide this person doesn't treat me well and doesn't make me happy. I'm they're out of my life Good for you. So that was, you know, and that's, you know, it's one of those things that sounds, people are like, Oh yeah, just cut that person out. But it's like, that's way harder. It's way easier said than done. Mm -hmm. And it's actually very difficult. So I feel like I've just lost someone. So that part feels crappy. But it's like, okay, I feel like I'm making the right decision. Like, I know this is the right thing to do. Um, How did they take it? Uh, I think they were pretty understanding. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously hurt. But it was just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is not fair to my brain. <laughs> so that's good that they knew on some level that it was unhealthy. Yeah, they did. They did do the apology. I'm, I'm sorry. That's how you feel. You know, I love, I love those Where apologies. Where there's no responsibility for any yeah actions no <laughs> responsibility for what you've done just uh you're sorry for how i feel okay uh <laughs> okay it's 2021 and we've talked about this so much how do people not know that's the worst apology yeah. like you should know like hey like nobody likes to be a nobody likes that ever like they're not like oh i'm sorry that's how you feel like i think they know it's the worst apology <laughs> they just <laughs> So yeah. yeah, this this person in particular was uh, I had a pretty toxic relationship with them, pretty manipulative, um, lots of gaslighting type of stuff. And I was just like, I can't do this. Like this is not this is not good for me. So I made the decision. Um, it's not an easy decision, but it, I think it was the right thing to do. Good for you. That's so hard. And you do go through like a grieving process with it. Like even if it was a really unhealthy relationship, it was still a relationship, and so. I think it's natural to feel a little bit sad and to even have moments where you think about the good things and you're like, oh man, I, you know, I threw that away too, but it's like, you know, there's good in every relationship, but that doesn't mean it's a healthy relationship or something you should be in. Yeah. It's one of those. Yeah. There's definitely, there's good there for sure. But it's like, is this healthy? And like, does this make me feel good? I don't know. Overall, yeah. no. So I need to just stop this. And yeah. so that's what I did. So it was just, and you know, that was tough. And then when I saw my chair was stolen by a cat, I was just like, well, this is the worst <laughs> day of my life. This is the worst day ever. <laughs> like, I can't even recover from today. <laughs> so. Well, seriously, congrats. That's so hard to do, especially when you weren't taught boundary building at a young age. Yeah, no, that was definitely not a thing. I mean, I love my parents and I love like school and everything. Well, actually, I didn't really like school that much, but <laughs> like I had great teachers, great people around me, great adults. But yeah, boundaries were not really taught. And, and dealing with an alcoholic father, like I dealt with, like, you know, I was very young, but my mom, like, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, he was enabled by people a lot. And like, that's challenging too. So like, I found myself doing that as well. Like sometimes I'm enabling behaviors or enabling treatment and it's like, no, I, I have to stick up for myself. Like you have to set those boundaries. It's just complicated and messy and not easy. So I wonder, too, if it's, like, a cultural thing. Like, do you think we're, or generational even, like, do you think we're all kind of raised to be people pleasers? I don't know. Maybe. I, I know that I'm, I definitely have codependency stuff going on there uh, and have for my entire life. And that was something I found out through, like, group therapy was, like, oh, yeah, this is a thing. And this is why you're kind of like this, buddy. But I don't know if everybody's like that. Um, I know I am. And I know we've talked about being people pleasers. Like, <laughs> yes, I just want other people to feel good. And, you know, if other people like me, I feel like I have to be their friend. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really hard. But I think as a girl, <clears throat> you, 
in the U.S., you are taught to be either an enabler or a people pleaser just through simple phrases like, oh, boys will be boys. Or, oh, wait, him being mean means he likes you. Or things like that that are, those are two boy examples, but are something that's so common or was common when I was growing up. But yeah, like being like, no, you can't treat me that way. I don't care if you like me. Like, yeah, it's so messed up too. Like to think of like, wait, this person's mean to me, and that means they like me. Like what? Well, yeah. and it messes boy psychology up too because yes. they're like, oh, I have to be mean to someone I love. Oh God, okay, rewire, and like that does so much harm. Yeah, I talk about we've talked about before like toxic masculinity, how like damaging that is for men. Like it's awful. Like and and how we have to grow and process through that. It's just like kind of a nightmare i mean it's terrible obviously for women and our partners and everything but like men it's also like it really stunts our growth and development so well and i think you know as soon as we can allow men to cry and feel no shame for that and to feel deeply and feel no guilt or feel no wrongdoing because they're acting quote-unquote feminine we will be a so much better society oh yeah for sure so i think it's similar to that though with like codependency or with enabling relationships you are kind of teaching someone modeling behavior in some way. So sometimes that's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking about like, it's just so moving to me when men do cry. Like I, I just like, it chokes me up. Like I, I had my brother's wedding like a couple weeks ago and, um, they did the first look thing and, uh, we, <laughs> they didn't know this, but we were all crowding at the windows watching them. <laughs> And, and just like sobbing just seeing like my brother start to cry when he saw her just like i i was i had just got my makeup professionally done and i was like crying it off i was just <laughs> like but for me there's just something like so moving about a man crying because i feel like they it makes me sad how much men have to like repress that and so seeing like an emotion that's strong enough to break through that facade is just like oh wow like it just carries a lot of weight and i'm like that's definitely and it's i think so brave it's like a, such a brave act for him. like yeah. and so whenever you see that you're like i am so proud of you that tears are now coming down my face like yeah. i'm just so happy you found joy to kind of combat that mm-hmm. yeah and like I, I remember just just when i was teaching i taught fourth grade and boys where i was teaching it was like they were such taught to like fight you know you fight back you beat them up you're tough and it was like, no, they would like, and they would get so mad and they would start to cry. And it was like, they were f- battling that. They were battling like what society expects of them. And they were battling also like, hey, my feelings were hurt and I'm sad and I don't know what to do. And I was like, this is such a nightmare. <laughs> so you're trying to teach kids like, oh no, it's totally okay. But you're like battling like those so- social constructs that are like so overwhelming at times. So yeah. Oof. I feel like I was specifically taught that being mad was a bad thing. And I think Mm. my parents are amazing and they only did this to try to be fair. But whenever I fought with my siblings, they believed it, you know, the fair thing is everybody goes to timeout. So if you're fighting, you know, I'm not as the parent, I'm not choosing sides. I'm not making one of you apologize. You all got in a fight. So you're all going to timeout. But I think that created this like thing in my mind that fighting is bad that you're not supposed to fight. If you fight, you get in trouble instead of fighting is natural. Right. Like there can't be a righteous fight. Yeah. Because you all get punished in the end. Yeah. So you can never fight for yourself. Well, you never well, stick up for well yourself. I feel like men are taught that being mad is the only emotion they're allowed to have. Yeah. I feel like women are taught they're not allowed to be mad. 
This is yeah. why that movie Inside Out is so smart. Because so we we know Inside Out, right? So like the in the dad's head, the person in charge, the emotion in charge is anger. Like I just remember seeing that and be like, yeah. oh my god, that is so perfect and smart. I loved it. Such a yeah. good movie. Well, and when you think about that, at least in like heteronormative heterosexual relationships, there's so much repressed anger and emotion on both sides. Mm-hmm. It's almost like by having a healthy, respectful, heteronormative and heterosexual relationship, it's almost impossible to some people who haven't either gone through therapy or done that really hard work of dismantling the patriarchy within themselves. And I think about that all the time. Yeah. Just constantly. It's always in my brain. Nice. I love it. Hmm. So Lizzie, how are you for real? I'm going to throw you a curveball and Uh-oh. say that I'm doing pretty damn good boo (laughs) (laughs) i'm happy for you you wooed and i'm booed (laughs) so like anyone who's been listening regularly knows that like i pretty much my answer to that question was bad for like the entirety of covid for a while yeah (laughs) um like i was tired of myself i was like i'm i'm bored of this question i'm bored of this answer um but yeah i have been back in the office for I guess, f- like, I kind of full time, it's been like three weeks now of going like, I always work from home one day a week I did before the pandemic. So it I've been back for a few weeks doing my normal four day a week schedule. And so I deal with depression and anxiety and COVID just it hit me way harder. I did not do well working from home. I wasn't very productive. Um, my depression got really bad where it was like, you know, suicidal ideation at times. And just because I felt like, you know, every day was so I just I lost my sense of like purpose in a lot of ways, even though, you know, I was still I still had a job, which I was thankful for. Um, Just not having a sense of community at all. Like because virtual meetings just like doesn't really do it for me. Mm, Yeah. Um, And I didn't realize like how much like being in the office like helps me focus. Uh, I'm just one of those people. I can't focus at home. There's too many other things going on. I think it's like my anxiety and some of my like perfectionism is just like if I'm at home that I'm I'm thinking about home stuff too. I'm thinking about my entire life. Whereas when I'm in the office, I can really like tunnel vision. I am just thinking about my job. I'm just thinking about my work performance. Um, so it's actually it my depression has lifted so much the past few weeks like just having that structure and having that social interaction every day and having a sense of purpose again and having days where like I get out of a meeting and I'm like I'm good at my job like I didn't feel like that for a year and a half I felt like I was just never performing at the level that I used to and Um, it really, like, it was really a big blow to my self-confidence because I'm someone who really kind of defines myself by my work a lot. Um, I always have, it goes back to school. Like I was like a very like perfectionistic student. Like I just wanted, you know, I always wanted to do a good job. And so feeling like I couldn't do a good job for so long was really hard. Um, but you know, I I do feel like I have been more stressed the past few weeks, which is natural. Like I knew that I was going to go through, 
like it was going to be a shock to the system. Right. Um, and so, you know, one thing I've noticed is like, I'm not depressed anymore. I mean, I'll, I'm always at least a little bit depressed, let's be honest, but <laughs> I'm not clinically <laughs> depressed anymore. Um, I can get out of bed and, um, you know, see a purpose in life. Uh, but I do have a lot of the symptoms of depression, like fatigue or like at the end of the day, I'm just, you know, I feel like I'm not used to my brain running so hard and having so much stimulation. So at the end of the day, I really, I'm ready to just like sit on the couch and watch chopped and like not even talk to anyone, not even my spouse. I'm just like a zombie, (laughs) but like, so I'm looking forward to that, to slowly getting my energy back. And it might even be that I was talking to Emery about this before we started recording. It might be that I'm just kind of overcompensating for the fact for like what I feel was my work performance during COVID. And I'm like really throwing myself into it. And I'm like not leaving any mental, emotional energy at the end of the day to like deal with normal life stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's nice. Like I have started cooking again. Um, That was one thing that like there were points during the past year and a half where like, you know, my husband, like I've usually been the person who cooks more often. I, it's usually something I enjoy, but I was so depressed that I like couldn't feed myself at times. And so I had to rely on, you know, on my partner to do that for me. And, uh, it's nice to like, you know, cook meals together and for me to like be able to meal plan again. And yeah. And like, I feel like the anxiety is going to slowly get better too. Um, Of course, like with the stress, like my anxiety has been a little heightened, but it's definitely helping my social anxiety to be at work again. Yeah. There's just something about like the coworker interactions. I feel like there's something very wholesome about the coworker interaction. It's just like, you know, everybody during their like normal day like just talking to someone when you're barely awake in the morning mm-hmm. it's just very humanizing that make life feel like life yeah and just and yeah you, you didn't have like, that for so long either yeah like i i work in a library and so i've got like i work with some awesome librarians and i i miss my i missed my morning librarian chats where i like come in and I've got my coffee with me and I'm already like seven minutes late because I'm always seven minutes late. Um, But I end up being 30 minutes before I get up to my office because I'm just like chatting with the librarians before I go up there. You know, even though I'm kind of like siloed in my department where I'm like the only I'm a one woman show kind of thing, like being able to talk to people in other departments makes me feel like grounded and like, you know, not like I'm just totally alone. Well, and that's hard, too, because it sounds like if you had that same job during COVID, you would have felt isolated as well without having that work interaction that you just talked about. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah. Because when you're in meetings, it's like all business. Like, there's usually not a lot of time to just chat. Mm-hmm. So I missed the work chats. The work chats are pretty wholesome. Yeah. Because you can't really talk about unwholesome things. So, yeah, by nature, just... that's just what they are. Yeah, people talking about their families and their weekends and like the smile when someone says, oh, I did nothing. Yeah, like love that one. Classic (laughs) response. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I don't mean to brag, but I am doing pretty good. (laughs) Well, that's awesome, though. Yeah, well, we we do need for next week for you to kind of 
bring it back down. Yeah, I'll try so, to yeah, get back I, on the sadness this is meter. Too, apparently, this is too much positive over here. <laughs> is it disturbing? Am I smiling too much? She's <laughs> like, "What are you? Why? What's happening with your Let's face? See, what are you why are you doing your... with your face? You're showing your teeth." <laughs> <laughs> so, cat, how are you for real? Hmm. I think I'm somewhere between you guys this this nice day. Um. But we just found out some of our family got COVID this morning. So that's oh, yeah. been mm. a little bit hard. But luckily, they're all vaccinated. So we're hoping it won't be too bad. But, you know, it's things like that that kind of remind me that we're not done yet. And my anxiety was so good up until, like, I want to say the last month. Because that's what I have to deal with in my personal life is my anxiety. Super fun stuff. Um, but during COVID, it was just so heightened because I was working on COVID communications for work and things like that. So I couldn't get away from it, even with my work. I was thinking about it constantly. And I think, you know, now I finally felt like I had a break. And now we're like, oh, man, not the family. <laughs> like, yeah. we lasted this long. Um, so, damn Delta variant. I know, right? I'm like, Delta Airlines, now I just won't fly you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, this is really bad PR for Delta Airlines. Come on, do you have to call it Delta? (laughs) They're going to change their name. Delta said, oh, man. And then Corona Corona Beer replied, yeah, see, it sucks. (laughs) I was like, this is great. This is so good. I like that these comms teams are working together. Um, But yeah, but otherwise, I feel good. I got to spend some time with my parents earlier today. Um, We just sat having coffee outside. And it's those little things that I think make the struggles worth it and i think when you're just sitting outside like listening to the trees in the wind you're just like ah, this is life it can be peaceful it can be terrible but it can also be this and you know whenever i think about that with like what you're saying you're growing right now and i'm pointing at emory for everyone but you're growing right now and being able to set boundaries that will make you happier in the long run and you're on the up and up on something that you've struggled with probably your whole life and now during covid was so hard and now you finally had to talk to people again Whereas, like, I don't think I'll, I'll go back to work. We'll see. I don't know. Can't speak for my company. But it's events like the one you kind of alluded to earlier that make me feel a different community is together and things like that. So I'm in between. Yeah. So are you one of the people that, like, you're thriving working from home? I wouldn't say that. I think you and I are similar in that when I'm home, I'm like, oh, my God, laundry. Oh, my God, dishes. Wait, did I turn the stove off? (laughs) Like, constantly. And um, I bought my first house during the pandemic, so I'm kind of getting used to, like, actually owning the space I live in, too. And so for anyone who owns a home or owns a condo or anything like that, you have this, like, list in the back of your mind. You're like, Mm -hmm. oh, wait, Mm -hmm. I do need to do that. Like, did someone mow the lawn? Or should I do that? Or, like, what's happening right now? What did I forget? I know I forgot something. Are my bills paid? And so when you're working in that same building where you're also watching TV in like an hour, like that's hard for me. But I think I'm going to convert one of the rooms to an office now. But it's just like was too much to try to do during 2020. Yeah. Yeah, I I bought my first house during the pandemic as well in October and I feel the same way. That list is always in the back of your head. And then working from home, I literally I can't do it because I have a cat, Floyd. All I want to do is pet Floyd and hang out with Floyd. I don't want to do work. That sounds boring. I want to hang out with Floyd. So I was like, yeah, Lizzie, I don't know how you do it because you've always got little furry critters around. (laughs) It's really hard. It's going to be so distracting. Like, I mean, I could either answer this email or pet my cat for an hour and a half. I don't know. It seems like the cat wins. Okay, But I've also been thinking and I've been reading some articles about this. 
where humans would be as productive with a 25 to 30 hour work week as we are right now. Oh, yeah. I believe it. I totally get behind because do you know how many times like prior to COVID where we were just standing around chatting or, you know, that kind of synergistic effect of coworkers in the office and you might come up with something, but otherwise you might just have those mundane conversations that are lovely. And it's just like, I could easily be petting my cat right now. I don't have a cat. You guys are lucky, but you can you know, imagine yourself. Petting I can't cat. imagine like I've cat sat before where you're just like, Oh, you're purring. How nice. My <laughs> depression is cured. <laughs> like, it's just like those kinds of things where it can be really awesome. But you know, when you're in a giant meeting and then you just see a VP's cat sit on their shoulder, that's also very humanizing. Yeah. And I do love that. Yeah. I've always felt bad for Mondays because, you know, they get such a bad rap because it's like, oh, first day of the work week. But like if they gave us Mondays and we had those hours, then Mondays we'd be cool with now. Yeah. We'd just be like, we'd hate Tuesdays. Tuesdays, <laughs> Tuesdays yeah, sucks. <laughs> I work from home on Mondays, so I can attest the working from home on Mondays definitely helps with my Sunday scaries like a lot. Yeah. Um, and it helps me like ease into the work week. But yeah, Tuesday does become the new the new Monday. Or yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. And I yeah. think also like this is controversial what I'm about to say. Oh, but God. Tuesday is my favorite day of the week. Interesting. Wow. Everyone looks at me like I have like a screw loose, but it was always my work from home day. So prior to COVID, I would just be like in my bed like ticking away and then like get so much stuff done because I had so much more structured time otherwise. Mm-hmm. And now I've just lost all that productivity. So, interesting. I'm sorry. But I still like Tuesdays. I yeah. think they deserve to feel special. That's why tacos happen on Tuesdays. Yeah, that's true. The mm. Taco Tuesdays, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about when you said, like, that COVID is still a thing, where it was like, you know, we're not done yet. It just, like, you know, not to bring, be a downer here, but it just, like, epitomizes, like, American culture and, like, how our country works in some ways, where it's just, like, I think of, like, back in the early 2000s, George W. Bush was staying on that... Uh, we had that mission accomplished banner behind him, and it was like clearly the mission was not accomplished. But <laughs> it was like we're like, oh yeah, we solved this, we beat this. And it's like we are not beating anything. Exactly, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like that American ideal that we have to be a winner in some fight. Yeah, and like I would be totally fine with making COVID a fight, but I felt like it's been politicized in a way that's been so harmful. We've literally had half a million Americans more than that now pass away from it and it just like breaks my heart to think about but it also makes me so grateful that like i'm here today and we survived something like that that's still happening but like that's something that like for me when we talk about mental health and when we talk about semicolon later it's so okay and so understandable that you would feel alone or sad or lost or unmotivated or unproductive like we went through like grief together as a world for the first time in so long. Uh-huh. And like, that's something we'll all live with. Um, so yeah, I think about that a lot too. Clearly an anxious brain is a busy brain. Yep. Yes. We know this. <laughs> yep. Lots of experience. Uh, so we are about that time. We need to take a hmm. quick break. So we will be right back. Two Nuts in a Pod is a program dedicated to talking about the real stuff. The stigma of mental illness, how we tend to our mental health, and how our brains define and empower us. Hosted by Lizzie and Emery, Two Nuts in a Pod can be found on podcast streaming devices such as iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and CastBox. 
In addition to podcast streaming services, Two Nuts in a Pod is a proud member of Forward Radio. 065 WFMP LP is committed to broadcasting the voices of those groups and individuals in our community who are routinely ignored by the mainstream media, promoting understanding and collaboration among diverse groups, supporting our efforts to network, organize, and strengthen our community and our democracy. Forward Radio is a volunteer-powered, listener-supported station, and we need your contributions. Just go to forwardradio.org to donate or get involved. All right, we are back. Uh, We've got the lovely Kat O'Connor in the studio with us today. Um, We're having a great time, and uh, we are going to, before we kind of go into Kat's story want to hear from her a little bit on the semicolon event coming up. Yes. So semicolon is an event centered around storytelling about how people have survived or succeeded with their mental health, whether it be issues, suicide, anything like that. These stories will be told at the event by people who have been through them. And it's just a way for the community to support these people and raise awareness about some of the services that seven counties can provide related to those. And uh, where is it going to be? It will be at the Tim Faulkner Gallery outside. So if you're worried about COVID, we will also just plainly be outside from 7 to 9, September 9th. And if it rains, you're just going to have to deal with it. We have a giant tent. Okay. It'll be some ambiance for the storytelling. It's just like cleansing rainfall around you. Oh, that would be nice. That would be nice. I feel like depressos would like the rain. Just Personally, like, I listen to rain every time I fall asleep. Like, I put on that rain music stuff. Nice. So I'm going to love it. I'm a depresso, but I don't like the rain. Yeah. Not a fan. You don't like the drama of it, of like, you're telling a sad story and there's just water pouring down your face. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I like it. <laughs> the water <laughs> streaming down my face as I'm telling a sad story. Cinematic, cinematic. And, and speaking of that, I am one of the storytellers for this event. So if you don't show up, um, well, I'm going to hate you. So you have to show up. Yeah, yes. he's going to take it personally. So yeah. you guys should show up. I'm going to be very upset. And Tim Faulkner Gallery is in the Shelby Park, Smoketown area. Pretty convenient location. Nice little spot. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot they moved. Because they yeah. used, didn't they used to be like Portland, Portland almost? Portland area, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They moved. Yeah, and it's I love that location. And I think, so I've gotten the chance to hear Emery speak before. And I love his story and I love hearing it. Um, but one thing I always hope for people who attend is just that you feel seen. You're not alone, and this is something we can all feel better by just simply telling our stories and sharing those. I felt like the I've gone the past two years. Last year was virtual, obviously, um, and then I think the year before was like the inaugural mm-hmm. year for it. Yep. And both times, like I just felt, I left feeling so, like, just connected and empowered and just like I did really feel seen it just you know I think as much as we know that mental health issues are super common it's like it's totally different when you can hear people telling their stories like someone who you would look at and you might think like oh their life is just totally normal and they couldn't possibly relate to the stuff I go through and then you hear their stories and it's like oh they're just like me like they go through the same stuff that I do and I think just also the guts it takes for people to get up there and tell their stories it's like Mm -hmm. really inspiring it is and I think you know if they can go up on a stage then I can share my story in smaller instances like this for example I'm only imagining two people right now I'm talking to 
So it's a lot more manageable for me to talk about something like mental health. Whereas, you know, I personally have stage fright. I don't know if anyone else has had to deal with that who's been a storyteller, but I'm like, you guys are my rock stars. Anyone who gets up in front of people and talks about something that vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, I have stage fright too. That's why I've never been a storyteller, but maybe one of these one of these maybe days. Maybe one day you can pre record it. It can I mean, be like a pre recorded thing. I have stage fright. I I I think I do it as a way to like push myself, which may or may not be healthy. <laughs> but it's like it you know, I have a serious fear of heights too, and that's why like I like doing stuff that's like, you know, roller coasters, I wanna do skydiving, all that stuff where it's just like I wanna do something that like pushes me in that way. Yeah. But um where you don't feel conquered by your fears. Yes, exactly. Because I, I definitely get a little nervous on stage like it just you know even you know, the brains bruising bragging rights i was like man I, I feel a little nervous for this i don't even know why but it's just like i always get those little those little butterflies <laughs> literally I'm and you would never guess seeing you speak that you yeah. were nervous at all he's like, just shaking inside just <laughs> 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 way to keep it bottled up i don't see it at all no but i think that like literally what you just said is so important because no one would ever guess for most people that they feel the way they feel. Yeah. And so for me, for example, I didn't even realize I had anxiety until I was a junior in college. So I had been at high performing institutions all the way until then and didn't even realize that, oh my God, this is harder for me than it is for other people. Wait, what? Like this breakdown isn't normal. You guys don't cry when you're alone sometimes just to let it out. <laughs> okay, cool. Just me. But then I realized, like, the more I talked to either therapists or my friends, they're like, oh, my gosh, I've felt that way, too. I had no idea you felt that way. Like, you are just always that person that people can talk to. And I was like, yeah, well, that's because I have breakdowns all the time. So I get you. I get where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, it's that exact thing. Like, you're so good at it. People wouldn't know that you're overcoming a fear. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you're living with something like mental health, when you seem so good on the outside, it's sometimes when you're feeling your worst, worst on the inside. Mm -hmm. So it's always important to know and to think about. And that's what this event is for. Because all these people have actually gotten really, I wouldn't say better, because I don't know that that is how we should describe mental health, but they've gotten so much more comfortable in who they are and what they deal with day to day, and that they don't feel alone, and are now able to talk about it. Did we say when this event was? September 9th, in case we didn't. It's a Thursday. It's from 7 to 9. September 9th, Thursday, 7 to 9. And that is in honor of... World Suicide Prevention Day, is that correct? Um, it's Awareness Week. Awareness so. Week, okay, okay. And so, I mean, the reason it's called semicolon, which I feel like is to some people common knowledge but may not be to others, is because a semicolon in the English punctuation means that you're not stopping a sentence, you're just completing the next one or giving way to the next one. And so a lot of people who are suicide survivors have tattooed, you know, the semicolon or used that in a way to show solidarity about surviving something like that mm -hmm. i love it yeah it always like makes me happy when i see someone with a semicolon tattoo i just want to like hug them but i'm like wait covid that's creepy <laughs> yeah i actually had a dentist who had a semicolon tattoo and i don't know why it's just like it's i usually don't expect healthcare providers to have tattoos mm -hmm. in general um and so I was like, cool, he has a tattoo. But then I was like, <laughs> cool, super dentist. cool. He's a depresso also. <laughs> like, I love this guy. Well, it just shows that, yeah, it shows that sense of community. It shows that, you know, he's been through some hard times. And, you know, it feels that you have that connection with him, which is really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That's awesome. I One big takeaway from, for me, I think it was the first semicolon event. Um, someone talked about, one of the speakers talked about, like, letting your friends see you're crazy. Um, and the first time that 
she like actually in her worst moment reached out to someone and and actually like went and spent time with them and let them see how bad it was um that was really powerful for me because my immediate instinct when I feel really bad is to isolate Mm -hmm. um like I don't know if I I feel like I'm shielding other people from it um it might be some of the people pleasing stuff like I don't want to be around people unless I'm going to be like happy charming Lizzie yeah their escape yeah I don't want to be like you know sobbing hyperventilating Lizzie in front of people I feel like you're a burden too I think that's more my thing it's like even though I don't necessarily care if I make people super happy I'm like I also do not want to drag you down when really whenever I think of when I've helped like a friend through something that didn't weigh me down at all it almost made me feel better for knowing that they're okay that I helped like they're okay now they got what they needed with me I can check up on them and remind other people to check up on them and so like that's what it means to be a community member I think is where once someone finds that strength to say oh I really need help you're like absolutely I have help to give awesome and it just creates this like feeling of safety I feel like that's a very good point and really like people yeah I've definitely struggled with thinking I was a burden to others and it's like no like your friends, family members, and loved ones, they, they want to help you and support you. Like, like yes, you should definitely reach out to them because this is you're not a burden to them at all because they love you. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're never going to think this this loved one is a burden for you. It's like, no, I want to support you and help you and, and see you get better and see you do okay. And, like, I appreciate the fact that you trust me enough to talk to me about this because I realize it's not easy to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I found that whenever I do that with someone or when friends do that with me, it's like, this actually makes me feel better. Yeah, and actually going back to your comment earlier when we were asking how you were doing, we are all a choice in everyone else's lives around us. We are a choice that they choose to interact with us because we bring something positive, healing, peaceful, optimistic, funky, different to them. That is your gift to the world. And so when you think about it that way, you're like, oh, this person's choosing to be in my life. Okay, here's what you get. Help me, please. <laughs> it's like they want you to be around. You made this still. choice. <laughs> yeah, but they want you to be around still, yes. which for me, I can't be around in the same way when I am not feeling supported. And I think that's been like the biggest thing I've learned in adulthood is like most of my friends do not care if like I cry one day. They're like, oh, I kind of forgot about that. But yeah, you cried one time. I'm like, awesome. Okay. It was simple. Or like if something makes me anxious, like I lately. Um, I've been like, okay, can we eat outside? Like this positivity rate for COVID has been really high. It just makes me a little nervous. And everyone's like, we love eating outside. Let's eat outside when no one else is nervous, but it's something small that makes me feel comfortable and safe. And my friends are more than happy to provide that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Kat, anything else that you'd want to share? We're getting kind of close to the end of our time now. So anything else that you could share about your anxiety, like how, you said that you discovered it later in life, maybe like some of the ways that you cope with it. Mm-hmm. And I think with anxiety, it's interesting because we, before we were on air, we were talking about um, how it's such an internal battle. And with anxiety, sometimes there's not that exterior thing that like clues people into you feeling anxious. Um, so for me, actually, for the longest time, I didn't deal with it because I didn't know I had it. And I was just like, oh, everyone feels this way. They feel a crippling sense of responsibility to be the best person they can be all the time never burden anyone be perfect all this stuff 
And then suddenly I wasn't perfect. And in front of the people I love most. And I was like, oh, they all treated me the exact same after, if not better, because they understood what I needed. And it was so normalizing because I found out, like, my dad had experienced anxiety before. My grandma had experienced anxiety. I was like, ah, it's generational. Literally, it's in my genes. Cool. I feel so much less of a failure to know that it's normal. And so for me, a lot of my coping mechanisms are (laughs) kind of funny. I don't know. It's more like talking to myself how I would a friend. And I think if any of you know me um, personally, you kind of heard how I talk to people where I'm like, no, silly. Literally, this is not how you would talk to your friend. Why are you being like this to yourself? You Mm -hmm. are your first friend. And I really pride myself on being a good friend and being that person who's a little honest. Mm -hmm. It might might sting, but I'm going to tell you what I think you need to hear because that's my condition of friendship. And so I try to do that with myself now. And it's, I've one, had a much better relationship with myself, but it's also helped my anxiety, like with work, very high achieving, love succeeding and doing good work for my team, but as a teammate. And so I cannot say no sometimes. And then I'm like, ah, wait, they would say no if they were overworked because I wouldn't want them working past five. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say no today and things like that. But it's really something as simple as that, which is not simple in practice, but... Yeah, I mean, you talk to yourself more than any other person, so might as well be nice to yourself. Yeah. Well, and there's been, and part of myself is, like, the reason I got to coping and realizing it was normal, because there's a lot of feelings of guilt with mental health, especially when you've been seen as someone who's high-performing for a long time, or perfect in some circles, which no one is perfect, and I know we always say that. Literally everyone struggles with something like this, whether it be... A toxic family member who you might not realize has a really huge impact on your life or a mental health issue. Um, But what I've found is like educating myself on it. Just like, oh, like what do neurotypical people feel like? Okay, what do other people feel like who have these things? Mm -hmm. And I've found that when Emery was saying you talk to yourself more than anyone else, you create pathways in your brain when you say something so often. So if you say something like I am worthless, your first thought will be I am worthless. But if you say something to yourself like, okay, now I get to try again. What a great opportunity. How fun. That will be your first thought. It's not that you're worthless. It's that, oh, I learned something. Cool. Move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that mentality. Yeah. And I think too, like with anxiety, sometimes I, f- I feel like it's this compulsion to torture yourself with your thoughts. It's like, mm-hmm. at least the way my anxiety manifests, it's like, an intrusive thought pops up and instead of saying, Oh, I don't need to worry about that. Let's probably something like I'm going to be nice to myself and I'm not going to worry about that. Um, when I'm anxious, instead I cling to it and I try to follow the thought to its conclusion, which is always bad. It's just like I spiral down into worry. Mm -hmm. Um, and I give that thought so much power And like thoughts are just thoughts. You don't have to believe them. But your body believes thoughts. And so this is something that I always, again, this comes back to like reading literally everything. I like took my little student hat and put it on when I found out I I had anxiety. But when you're saying like, oh, I can be nice to myself. I conversely, when I first learned I had anxiety and that I needed to rope myself in so I didn't have to have breakdowns in public. That was my main thing. I was like, I don't want to feel embarrassed by myself, which you should never feel embarrassed when you're communicating a need, which is what your body's doing when you do break down. But what I would always say, what's the worst possible thing that can happen? I die. Okay. Worst possible outcome of anything. I die. (laughs) 
that being said, you're alive right now. So this outcome has not happened. So take it for what it is and move on. You are not dead yet. You still have joy to find. And like that kind of harsh thing that I was like, I always talk to my friends that way sometimes. And that's what kept me going. That's what kept me being like, no, you would never talk to someone like this. I'm so mad at you right now. I'm going to forgive you and we're going to move on to the next thought. And so it's things like that. But I have to say, like in relationships, for example, luckily I date an underthinker, which he will call himself. He's like, I just don't think the way you do. So you don't need to worry about that. And it's taken me like two years to really comprehend that. So now I just ask him, I'm like, hey, you don't hate me, right? He's like, nope. I'm like, cool. Good talk. <laughs> but it helps me so much. <laughs> we talked about God, that. I need to find more underthinkers then. <laughs> God. <laughs> no, but it's just like I've come to trust what he means. When he's like, no, don't hate you. I'm like, okay, cool. Bye. That helps me so much because it nips my thought in the bud. I let him know that sometimes I'll need to ask those things and we can move on with our day. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, so we are at this the stage in our episode where we talk about gratitudes. So um, sometimes we can get into some like darker stuff during the episode. So we like to kind of end on a positive note and think about the things that are going well and are kind of giving us life. And, you know, gratitude practice is just super great for mental health. I mean, Emery keeps a gratitude journal. So nerd. Yeah. <laughs> He's great at gratitudes. I am not great at them. So this practice is actually always really hard for me. Um, you want me to go first? This is usually why I don't start. <laughs> I have a couple ideas for today, but yeah, Emery, why don't you kick it off? Yeah, so I came back from Mexico City. It was super stressful and it was really late. Uh, you know, get back at 7.30 in the morning, go to work at 9. Rookie mistake. And on the way there, I get a flat tire. And I get out of the car. And this is, you know, it's a new car. And, you know, I'm just like, how? How does this happen? And in that moment, I realized with the lack of sleep lack of food, lack of processing anything, rushing here and there. I was like, I'm, I'm having a panic attack right now. I like knew it. And like, I straight up just like could not remember what to do with a flat tire. I was like, I don't even know. I was, I told my friend who later came, she's, I said to her, I was like, honestly, so I have two middle names, but I was like, if you asked me my middle names, I would not remember them in that moment. Like that's mm -hmm. how bad it is for me. And I remember I got upset. I just punched the ground which was grass, wasn't concrete, good Lord. <laughs> uh, that would be bad. So it was grass, and I punched it, and I was like, okay, this is not good. I need to, I need to call someone because I don't know what to do. And I called my dad, and he, he actually wasn't much help. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I have other sources, and one of those is the, the girls' chat that I'm in. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, it's 11 women, friends of mine, and I'm the one guy in there. And I texted them. I was like, hey, like, I, and it was just a very, like, just a text that I would never normally send. Usually I'm just like, mm, check my punctuation and make sure everything's correct. It was like just, just barfing out my thoughts. I was very upset and angry and telling them. Then I remember saying that and someone was like, hey, what do you need right now? And I was like, I need someone here with me, like present. And then a friend came. And, and Katie Kapitsky, friend of the show. And uh, previous guest on the show way back when. And she came and showed up and she called AAA for me, made sure I was okay and like talked me through it and got me in a car and got some air conditioning. It was super hot, of course. And I was like, okay, I'm starting to feel better. This is okay. Like, this is going to be okay. Like, 
you didn't know what to do in that moment, and then you feel shame, and then it's like one of those weird toxic masculinity things where like, I don't know how to fix a car right now, so like I just, so I don't know why I changed my voice there, but like I don't know how to fix this car, and like I feel shame there too, like oh I'm a man, I should know how to do this stuff, and it's just like God, what am I doing to my brain right now? And it just was pure exhaustion, but having someone that came there, and then I was able to show them my little crazy side. And my friends, nobody cared. Nobody batted eye. Nobody was like, oh, well, Amory's weird. It was more like, hey, like, how, what can we do to support you and help you right now? And that was just so needed. And I was so incredibly grateful for it because it's just exactly what I needed in that moment. So I reached out for help and I got help and it was great. Oh, and I love that you reached out to a group of women about, about a car problem. That makes my feminist heart so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I don't know what to do right now. This is my car has got a flat tire, and I, I might as well just be on fire right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing; like, it can feel like that sometimes. It felt like it was on fire. I was just looking at the car, just burning, like, and I didn't know what to do. And it was just like, okay, I'm gonna text my friends and be like, I just, I just need someone to be here more than anything else. It's just like just come here and be present with me mm -hmm. because when I'm like in those moments, I need someone to be like, Hey, like it's okay. And to be there and like, I can look in their eyes and feel everything and be like, okay, it's okay. Because it's a grounding presence. Yes. Because I don't, when I'm having a panic attack, I don't feel like anything's okay. And I can't think straight. Nothing's processing correctly. So it just was very, I was very appreciative to have that person in that moment and just to have that group too. Nice. Well, I can go next. Um, I am thankful for my job right now because it, I've have found out that it literally keeps me sane. Um, so very thankful for that, and I'm also just thankful for, kind of like, I guess the way that the mental health community has started to like share and really connect across social media. I think, like in the past, I know it's probably grown a lot in the past like ten years, but I think especially like post-COVID and like TikTok, I really feel like is a great community for like just learning about mental health stuff and seeing other people who have the same issues you do talking about it. And one thing that I've found that's really interesting is like, I, I don't know if you, any, either of you have read the highly sensitive person, but um, I identify as a highly sensitive person and it just comes with, it's, it's, it's not a diagnosis, but in some ways it is because it comes with like a whole set of like, you know, you are more sensitive to stimuli, you're more reactive to your environment, you feel, you know, pain more intensely, you feel everything more intensely, basically. And that there's even some discussion that being a highly sensitive person, when the, when that term was coined, there was a different understanding of autism at that time, and they were really separating like Elaine Aaron, the psychologist who wrote the book, she she made huge distinctions between autism and highly sensitive people because she said there are some similarities, but, you know, here are these big differences. But since, like, thoughts have really changed on, like, the spectrum since then, there are some people in the neurodivergent community who believe that people who are highly sensitive could be on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. And... Like when I read about autism, like there's some things that resonate me with me and some things that don't, but a lot of my social anxiety and like the way I respond to stimuli, like I, I think, you know, Hey, like I could be on the spectrum and even just thinking that and allowing myself to like, think, you know, I could be different in really profound ways has let, 
has allowed me to like be a lot more forgiving of my behaviors. Exactly. It's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, like you were talking about being neurodivergent, like ADHD, you know, is a type of neurodivergence. Mm -hmm. Like when you, as soon as you think like my, my brain just works differently and it's not my fault. Mm -hmm. Like that is just like such a release. Yes. And you can only control so much about how your brain works. You know, you can control what you put into it, but might process it very differently. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very thankful for just like social media and just the way that you can kind of educate yourself on that stuff now. Definitely. And I feel grateful for actually the same thing because I feel like I don't use social media at all. So like we might take a picture after the show or something, but I will not see it probably unless you guys text it to me. And it's funny because TikTok's the one thing I'm on there like anonymously. I'm like, I'm learning so much about myself, about the way I process things, about like what brings me crippling anxiety, what doesn't like, and how is that different from someone else who has the same mental health issue as I do? And I put that in air quotes. So everything is just a unique experience and so different. But I feel like TikTok has actually taught me so much. And I, I laugh about it because I think when I first downloaded it, I was like, oh, it's for dancing. Like <laughs> people just dance and it might be like kind of a nice thing to like make me feel less sad during COVID. Um, but really, I've learned so much and I, I love food TikTok. Everyone should be grateful for food TikTok. Yeah. Just saying. Um, but yeah, I would say the only small thing I am grateful for that I was thinking about earlier is that my morning espresso, like... Yeah, we were talking about the mundane things and every morning I make an espresso for myself and it's like a way that I show self-love because as we were kind of talking about sometimes women are taught to put their needs aside and like we don't prize like those little luxuries but like I get to make myself a cup of coffee in the morning like I woke up early enough to give that to myself and that's something that I feel is like one of my acts of self-love every day and I'm just happy that I've been able to do it and nice. that I've continued it very nice. Love it. All right. Well, we are at the end of our time now. Kat, thank you so much. It's been such a great conversation, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. We, me, Seven Counties, Belvin, and Brooklyn all appreciate it, but I just had a blast. So I remember semicolon Thursday, September 9th from 7 to. Nine. <laughs> like that she was mouthing it to me. I was like, I don't know if you want me to talk about At the Tim Faulkner Gallery. So, uh, yeah, you should be there. Show up. Awesome. All right, guys. Keep talking about your feelings. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Two Nuts in a Pod on Forward Radio. Please keep in mind that we are not mental health professionals, and all of our opinions are based on our personal experiences. If you'd like to speak to a trained professional, call National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Original theme music for Two Nuts in a Pod was composed by Neil Lucas.